Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. We have been looking at statements of Christ that have been misquoted, that have been abused, misunderstood, taken out of context, um, and that are quite frankly even difficult to maybe understand or difficult to kind of swallow. Um, and if you're interested, I would definitely say go back and listen to some of the messages. Um, but we've been tackling some of these hard statements at various levels. And the one today is hard for different reasons. One, um, as you'll see in a little bit, it was evidently hard for the listeners of Jesus at that day. Also, it's hard for those that are outside of Christianity to understand the statement that we're tackling today. But also, in some ways, it's hard for those that have been in church for a while because this statement is very familiar. And usually when uh, somebody comes up to speak on something that is very familiar, you, you know, we tend to tune them out. We tend to jump to an, a conclusion that we already know what this is going to be about so we don't engage. But can I just challenge you this morning to stay alert as we go through this because I believe that uh, you are going to see some things this morning that's going to challenge uh, you right where you're at. Amen? Amen. Um, And so the statement that we're looking at today is when Jesus said that you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Right? Eat my flesh and drink my blood. For everybody that is like a Buffy fan, everybody that like loves Underworld or Twilight, you might be loving this message right now. You're like, yes, I came on the right day. Um, But... Uh, Listen, I guarantee you that it's not heading in that direction, uh, and we'll find that out today. But we're going to be looking at the sixth chapter of the book of John, and John really is wanting his readers to understand that Jesus is the Christ. In other words, that Jesus is human, but he is God. And if you're like, how does that work out? Well, uh, check out the podcast a couple Sundays ago. Pastor Phil did an amazing job at explaining uh, that controversy as well. Um, and so, but John does a great job. And, and in the, at the beginning, he says uh, that the, the word was with God in the beginning. The word was God. And then he says the word became flesh. He's wanting us to comprehend who Jesus is. But also, uh, John has a pattern in his book where we see Jesus will do a miracle, and then Jesus will make an I am statement. And uh, here in John chapter 6, Jesus just got finished taking a boy's lunch, some bread and fish, and multiplying it and feeding over five thousand people. In fact, commentators say it's probably about 15,000 or so because they weren't counting the women or the children. Um, And so Jesus took some food, multiplied it in this miracle, and fed a bunch of people. I don't know about you, but that's pretty dope. Anybody that will multiply food, I'm like, I'm listening to you, right? Like you got a Big Mac, all of a sudden you got two. You're like, what's going on? Who did that? I'm definitely, my ears, my antennas are going up. And so uh, he just got through doing this, and now he's about to make 
an I am statement. And so um, what we're going to do is we're going to start at verse 25. We're going to read 25 through 35 and then 48 through 59, and then we'll dive in. Look at this. Verse 25, it says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, this is, they're, they're asking Jesus, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. In other words, they were just going after Jesus for what he offered in his hand, but not actually following his heart. They wanted to follow Jesus as long as Jesus was giving them stuff and as long as Jesus was blessing them materially, that they were like, yes, let's follow this dude, and, but their heart wasn't actually after Christ. And then he says this, do not work for the food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate manna in the desert as it was written. And he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it was my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. What he's talking about there was in the Old Testament, uh, the children of God were in the desert and God sent manna, this sort of bread that fell from heaven. They would go out and collect it. They'd have to eat it because it would spoil. So they would have to do it every day. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, yes, let's praise God for blessings. I praise the Lord for every time God has blessed me with anything. In fact, let's not get it twisted. Anything good that has happened in my life and in your life is not because of some sort of skill set, isn't because of some sort of intellect, isn't because of sheer luck, but it is because of the sovereign hand of God, and we can praise him and thank him for that, but... God said, but Jesus says, listen, it is God, not Moses, but it is God that sends the bread, and it is God that sent the bread of heaven. Look at what he says in verse 33. He says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread, right? Then Jesus declared, hello, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, not sometimes, not might go hungry, but will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Somebody say never. never. Skip down to verse 48. It says this, Jesus is continuing, and he says, I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they still die. Miraculous bread, they still died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man eats and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue. They began to debate and sharply among themselves. How can this man give us flesh to eat? 
Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven for your forefathers ate manna and died. But he who feeds on this bread will live forever. And he said this while he was teaching in a synagogue at Capernaum. Wow. Pretty, it seems like this is pretty clear. It seems like if you were to just take that one verse... Listen, if you want to be a disciple, you have to, you know, eat my flesh and drink my blood. We can see how that could easily go in multiple directions. But when you put it in context, it seems very clear what Jesus is talking about. Or does it? Or does it? Um, When Beck and I were moving from Modesto to San Jose... And, you know, you're packing stuff up so the house is all crazy and, and stuff starts coming out that, you know, you usually don't see. Uh, and one was my junior high yearbook. And I remember um, Olivia saying, oh, what is this? I said, oh, that's my junior high yearbook. You know, it's from when I was at school. You want to see daddy, you know, when he was thin, you know, look at this. And uh, she looked at me like, that's not you. I'm all, yes, it is. Anyway, and so she was looking at it for a few minutes, and then she looks up, and, and she says, hey, Daddy, and I said, yeah. She goes, most of these people are probably dead, huh? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> bless you, child. Yes. Um, but, you know, it gets you to think about life, doesn't it? Um, because what's interesting is, you get to a certain point as you, you know, get older, you begin to think about immortality, you begin to think about mortality, you begin to think about eternal life, and so all of a sudden, things like death and life begin to take on bigger meanings, and, and, and when people start begin to make, to make these eternal life claims, uh, it, you, we immediately are drawn to them, and we begin to really think about what it is that this person is saying, and Jesus Christ here is saying, he says, I have eternal life. He's telling us, um, as, and usually like he does, he does this often, that he has eternal life. But this time, he's using a particular image. Uh, and every time he talks about uh, who he is, every time he talks about the kingdom, every time he talks about eternal life, he'll use a different illustration to kind of give us a different facet of, of, what, of what this thing of Christianity and, and Jesus and kingdom is all about. And this time, he uses bread. Jesus says, this is what Christianity is. I am the bread of heaven. He says, I give you the bread of heaven, right? So let's just ask ourselves this question. Let's, let's think about this. Well, what is the bread of heaven? Where is it? And how do I get it? Right? Where's the bread of heaven? What, what is it? Where is it? And how do I get it? And that's what we're going to ask today. That's what we're going to go through. So let's start with this first one. What is the bread of heaven? What's interesting is we come up against uh, two Greek words uh, for this word life when he says, I'm the bread of life. And here he's, he, he's not just talking about quality of life, but he's using a particular Greek word. 
Because there's two words, and, and the two Greek words are either bios or zoe. Now, bios means physical, biological life. But zoe actually means quality of life. And here, Jesus Christ actually isn't using physical life. He isn't using, um, he, he isn't using quantity, but he's using the quality of life. Quality, what it is to live. See, all of us in our minds have this idea of what it is to truly live. Truly live. I remember we were at the beach one time, and, and uh, the girls were down there getting uh, wet or whatever, and, and Becca was watching them. I don't do ocean sharks, stuff like that. No, they don't, you know. And she's like, oh, can't you at least put your feet in? Listen, they'll see me a mile away and come. You see, those, those orcas, they'll go on land to get them seals. You know, I don't play. So I'll tell you right now. So Becca was down there watching, and one of the girls came up, and, and she sat by next to me, and she took out a Sprite, and she opened it up, and she sat in the chair, and she took a sip, and she looked over, and she said, Dad, this is really living. <laughs> <coughs> This is really living. <laughs> now, even though bread is traditionally linked to physical life, like bios, here Jesus is talking about a different kind of life. He's, he's talking about a different kind of life that he brings. and kind of that, this is really living type of explanation. And there's a big difference between existing and living. See, when the Bible talks about eternal life, nowhere does it simply mean that life just goes on forever, that we would just eternally exist. Existence is not what we're after because just to exist, in fact, just to exist eternally, that's exactly what hell is. That's the definition. See, because there's only two places to live, the Bible says. One is a place of eternal existence, and the other place is the place of eternal life. Place of eternal existence and a place of eternal life. There's a difference. The life we're talking about is that which makes life worth living. Meaning and energy, exhilaration and joy. Life worth living. That's what we're talking about here. Jesus says the bread of heaven is that. The bread of heaven is not just eternal existence, but it's eternal life. It's living. It, you see, it endures. We see in verse 27 that it goes through eternal life. This is what the bread of heaven is. It's quality. It's something radical. It's something ultimate. It's the zoe. It's not the bios. It's the zoe, you see. And so Jesus points something else here that every individual has options in front of him or her to try to find this Zoe, to, to find this radical life. And, and, and we all try to do this because existence isn't enough. Just to exist on this earth, that's not enough for us. We, we want to have meaning. There has to be something that, that thrills us. There has to be something that, that, that makes tomorrow worth waking up for, right? And, and, and so what he says, he says this, don't work for the bread that spoils. In other words, don't work for the zoe that spoils, but for the food that endures eternally. What he's saying here is that every one of us has to find this zoe, this radical life somewhere. 
right? We spend all of our life, we have visions of what it is. If I were to go to you and say, hey, what does really living look like? For my daughter was sitting there on the beach, opened up a can of Sprite, drinking it back, saying, man, this is living, right? But, but each of us have a definition of what does that like, look like for you? What would that blank be if you say, listen, really living is this. I wonder what that would be. In all of us, we have that. For a nine-year-old, it's a, it's a soft drink. And you might laugh at that, right? Because it's funny, of course. I wonder if God laughs at us for what we think what real living is. You see, in the deepest recess of our mind, we've already decided what it would be. And Jesus says, unless it's the bread that I give you, unless it's the gospel, unless it's the spirit of God, unless it's faith, unless it's me, Jesus says, then everything else will spoil. It'll spoil everything else. Y'all don't want to hear it this morning, but it'll spoil because some of you are just existing, but you're not living. You're going to work, but you're not living. You're waking up, but you're not living. You're in a marriage, but you're not living. You're raising up your kids, but you're not living. You're paying your bills, but you're not living. You're just surviving. You're just existing. You're just breathing. One day becomes another. Tuesday looks like Thursday. Friday looks like Wednesday. You don't even know. It all meshes up because you're just existing. And God says, listen, Jesus Christ says, listen, I can get beyond that. I am Zoe. I am bread. I am bread. But what's interesting is the Bible also doesn't just talk about one kind of Zoe. The Bible makes a distinction between true Zoe and false Zoe. Between true Zoe and false Zoe. Sort of these false ways of living. And let me give you just one example. You guys ready for this one? I don't know if you all will see. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, says this. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, instead be filled with the Spirit. Do not get drunk. He didn't say don't drink wine, but don't get drunk on wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. What he is saying here is that one false Zoe, this is just one example of many, one false Zoe, one false way of trying to find radical life, it can be through addiction of alcohol, can be through the the overuse of alcohol to where you get drunk. And you have to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Is it for boldness? If it's for courage? Is it to have joy? Is it to relax? Is it to feel warm? Is it to open up? Is it to, you know, uh, have some sort of better self-consciousness? Uh, maybe you can talk to people better when you're drunk. What, what's the point? And of course, we all know that when we get to that point in life, everybody here will say, well, yeah, that's called a drinking problem. And it is. And it is. And what Paul is saying is that what you're actually doing is you're trying to go to alcohol for what only Jesus can give you. You see, because only Jesus can give you a joy that doesn't spoil, a a, a boldness that doesn't spoil, a comfort that doesn't spoil. And And so you try to get out of the bottle what only Jesus can give you. Now, having picked on people that have drinking problems, uh, look at, that's just one way, that's just one thing, but I will say this, no matter what it is, no matter what that Zoe is, what, that, that you're trying to run after, let me just tell you, it will only lead to exhaustion. Jesus says, don't work for the food that spoils, 
but for the food that endures to eternal life. If your Zoe is money, if your Zoe is career, if your Zoe is education, if your Zoe is your looks, yes, Jesus, hallelujah. (laughs) I had to put that idol down, praise God. (laughs) Listen, let me just ask this, what's your bread? What's your Zoe? What's your meat? What's your source that, that, that you draw from, right? Is it the need to be dependent on someone else? Is it the need to have accolades and get everybody happy and, and love you? I mean, what is it that you draw from? Whatever it is, whatever it is, Paul and Jesus are both saying it's eventually going to exhaust you because that's going to spoil and you're going to have to go at it again and at it again and at it again and at it again, see? Because you'll need more. You'll need more of it in order for it to fulfill. It will exhaust you. Another great example of alcohol, as we know, is it's a depressant. And if you go, you know, if you look at any pharmaceutical book, you'll know it's a depressant. In other words, how, how is it that alcohol gives you joy? I mean, how, how does that function? How does that work? How is it that alcohol gives you boldness or, or you know, relaxes you? What, why is that, you know? Well, it's because what it does is it depresses your mind to reality. That's exactly what it does. It dulls your understanding of reality. And let me just tell you, every false Zoe, whether it's alcohol, whether it's money, whether it's your family, whether it's your marriage, whatever it is that you're trying to say, this is my ultimate source, this is my ultimate joy, guess what? It's going to numb you to reality. It is. It's going to, it's going to depress that. And, and, and you think that you'll have joy, but then a circumstance will happen, and that joy is gone like this. You think you feel fulfilled, but then all of a sudden the very job that gave you identity now is letting you go, and now all of a sudden the joy you had isn't there any longer. The identity you had, the security you had. You, you, you think you're satisfied because you got approved for the house. You're in your new house. You lived there for two years, and now you're not satisfied anymore. You see the other person, then they're extending their home, and now you want to extend yours. You see? Yeah. Well, whatever it is, whatever that false Zoe is, let me tell you, it's not waking you up to reality. It's not doing it. But Jesus is saying, listen, here's reality. You want reality? Here's the facts. The great God, who's the creator and in charge of all, became a person. He has come to earth and he has died for you. He's taken away the judgments against you and the liens against your soul, your failures and your sins. He's paid for them all. Now if you just come to him, if you transfer your trust from false zoes to the real bread of heaven, and make him your master. He will come to you and enfold you with his light and in power. Your consciousness will be cleared and he will adopt you into his family because that is the gospel. And Jesus is saying, that's reality. That's reality. So instead of, you know, looking at life just, you know, like sitting at a, a, at a table and, and not being sure, you know, who, who's right and who's wrong and, and, and what is life really about. Listen, Christ is telling you because you'll get a new self-image. You'll have a new community of people that are around you that are, that are also sinners adopted by grace, you see. Reality, truth, truth. For some of you, you might try to find 
that reality in a lover. You might try to find that reality through work. You might try to find that reality through degrees. You might even try to find that reality by uh, being a prestigious theologian, and you get so lost in it that you forget that Christ is the center of it all, right? And, and, and for some people, they don't even want to see what life is really about, uh, and, and, and they just, they just want to try to make everything feel better. But let me tell you something. It won't. Not ultimately. It won't. Not permanently. It never does. It's, when we talk about Jesus, it's a quality of life that can only be found in him. He alone is the bread of heaven. Jesus Christ doesn't say, everybody go out there and find your own bread. He says, go out and find your own zoe. In other words, listen, I'm the only true bread. I'm the only true way to make sure that you're not just existing, but that you are living. Watch this. The enemy doesn't care how many days you live as long as you don't live in the days you have. The enemy doesn't care how many days you live as long as you don't live in the days you have. It's a quality of life. This thing, uh, this thing called Christianity, it's a radical life. It's ultimate life. And it's only found in the bread that he can give. What is this bread? It's Jesus. Where can this bread be found? Number two. See, we've seen bread as the quality of life. We've seen that it's a radical life uh, and, that we have, and that it brings meaning and it brings purpose and it brings understanding, that it goes from existence to living. But where does it come from? And Jesus says in a very radical statement in verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. That's radical. But actually, what's even more startling is when he says this, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. Listen carefully. Christianity is not an Eastern religion, nor is it a Western religion. You catch this? Christianity is neither an Eastern religion, nor is it a Western religion. Western religion, you know, it's all about intellect, and, 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 and it's all about, you know, philosophy, and, and it's all about these grand eternal realm of ideas. Eastern religion says, no, 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 that's not what it's about. It, it's, a, it's a kind of force. Life is, is or, it isn't about this high realm of ideas, but instead it's a force, and how you tap into the force is through mystical experiences. Mystical experiences. And Christianity is neither. Is neither. And here's why. Jesus Christ says that the life of heaven, the bread of heaven, is not an eternal idea. The bread of heaven is not a mystical force. But instead, the bread of heaven is a person. Is a person. The bread of heaven is he. The bread of heaven is Jesus. Jesus Christ is saying that he is the bread of heaven and that Christianity is a personal religion. In fact, it's the most personal of religions. Because, because of course, Christianity, you know, is intellectual. And people who, who are intellectuals, they'll love Christianity. They'll love it. And, and yes, of course, Christianity has, you know, mystical experiences. So people who like that, they'll love Christianity. But, but, but listen, it's not primarily an intellectual religion. And it's not primarily a mystical religion. Because the bread of heaven is not primarily an ideal. It's not primarily a force. But it is a person. And his name is Jesus. Jesus says, unless your religion is radically personal, then you don't understand Christianity. In fact, if your Christianity isn't radically personal, then you don't understand Christianity. 
See, Christians have a God who cried, who laughed, who got angry, who suffered, who screamed in terror at one point. See, we have the most intensely personal God of all religions because he is the bread of heaven. It's a quality of life, but it's not an abstraction. It's not an abstraction. It's personal. It's personal. And so what I want to do is I want you to test yourselves for just a minute. You guys ready? I want, to test, I want you guys to test yourselves to see if the, this Christianity that you're in or if the religion, if you're not a Christian, if you're something else and the religion that you're in um, is, is personal, I just want to ask some questions. Just think about this. Is it personal? Is it personal? And you might be saying, well, of course it's personal. Of course. Yeah, it's personal. I believe all of the truth claims of Christianity, you know, and I, I come to church and, and you know, I, I serve and, and I say my prayers. Listen, friend, saying prayers and praying is two different things. Saying prayers and praying are two different things. You have to understand that. There's a, in fact, there's a lot of marriages that fall apart because of this, because they stopped being personal and they started being more business relationship. Marriages stopped being a personal relationship and they started being more of a business relationship. Well, what do you mean by that? This is what I mean. People, you know, that are married, they, 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 they work together and, and uh, you know, they'll talk, if, you know, when they have to. They'll do certain duties, right? Certain responsibilities that they'll carry out. But you almost start feeling like you're living with a roommate. You almost start feeling like you're, you're living with some sort of, you know, business advisor. So you guys talk about, you know, money and you talk about bills and talk about the best way to, you know, raise the kids or, or you know, all of this other stuff, but, but it's gone from being relational to very business-like, you see. But, and you have to ask the question, is there deep exchange of information, right? Is there deep affection and commitment? Do they spend time together? Do, I mean, do, do they look at each other's eyes and just, just look at each other? You know, do, do, do they bear each other's burdens? Do they serve one another? Do they give the other person priority? Are they willing to rearrange their lives for the other person? Are they in a position where they're willing to help the person change and to change themselves? You know, if, if all that's going on, then you know that this is a personal relationship. What about your relationship with God? See, every authentic Christian I know admits that before they were a Christian, that the relationship they had with God was either non-existent or it was business. Before they became a Christian, either there was non-existence or it was business. You go to God when you needed something, you know, emergency, you know, sirens go off, your life's going to fall apart. You go to God, you're like, oh, God, you know, uh, you know, or God, if you do this, I'll do this. If I do that, you'll do this kind of bargain, right? And, and, but, but there's a time where when you become a Christian, when you give your heart to Jesus, it goes away from being business or non-existent to very existent and very relational. See? Because you move from that. And it doesn't matter if you were raised in religion. It doesn't matter if you were raised in a Christian home. There's a place at which your relationship has to stop being business and it has to become personal. It stops being a matter of just suing God for breaches of contract every time something doesn't go your way and making demands, right? Uh, it has to stop that and it has to go into relationship. And so it's a test. Do you have a personal relationship with God? 
For example, do you find God constantly teaching you new things? And what I mean by that is not so much new revelation, but I mean, is he illuminating the truths that are already in scripture to your heart? right? Do, do you find God teaching you? Do you find God uh, moving uh, through you uh, in, in, in ways in your life is changing and old habits are changing and mindsets are changing? Not because you can do it, not because, oh, you pray more or you read more, but just because you're falling in love with Jesus Christ more and you're able to go to him and say, God, I'm sorry, or God, I love you, you know? Do you find that? Do you find that you're willing to rearrange your life to make him priority? See, that's relationship. That's relationship. Because he's not just a, a lofty idea. He's not something that's just abstract. He's not something that's just mystical. But he's a person. He's a person. See, it, the God that you serve, is it just an idea? Is it just some sort of force? Or is the God you serve, is he a he? In other words, is he a person? Is he a person? For the bread of heaven is he who came down from heaven. Test yourself. How's your relationship with him? But by the way, watch this. We're going to go even deeper. Jesus doesn't just say that he's the bread. He doesn't just say that he's the bread of heaven, but he says this, that he is the bread of heaven that is a broken person. He doesn't say he's just a person, but it's a broken person. See, the bread is my flesh, which I will give you the life of the world. See, there are a lot of people think that Jesus Christ is a moral teacher, a moral example. But let me just say this on two things. One, if he was just a moral teacher, if he was just a moral example, then he actually failed. But also, let me speak to you very personally when I see Jesus Christ living flawlessly and sinlessly and beautifully, let me ask you, does that like encourage you? Because it doesn't encourage me because I could never do that. Yeah. I could never live like that. So if he's only a teacher, if he's only an example, then the more that I get to know Jesus, the more he condemns me because the standard's too high. He's a discouragement. He doesn't help me. It's no help. But watch this, just like a piece of bread, if you were to take a loaf of bread, the only way for that bread to actually nourish you is for the bread to be broken. It's for the bread to be broken. The only way that Christ is a help is to be broken, you see. You might smell the bread, you might look at the bread, but as long as the bread is intact, it doesn't really nourish you. If Jesus Christ is only a teacher, if he's only a great example, then that only goes so far, but that ultimately really does nothing for you. Remember those, remember those uh, WWJD bracelets, right? Phil and I were talking about that this week. He brought this up. Good point. Remember those? What would Jesus do, right? Now, that's a great question when you think, you know, you get mad and you're like, okay, what would Jesus do or whatever, you know? You're driving, someone cuts you off and you go to do something, but you look at your WWJD neon green bracelet, and you're like, yeah, okay, I guess I'll let you have this one, buddy, you know, type of thing, right, right? But, but the other thing is that it's also created sort of this culture in, in, in which we have to begin to, to feel like, you know, we have to start acting moral, we have to start trying to, to, to be better, created this, this, the, the, this generation that only saw Jesus as an example. And listen, he's an example. I'm not saying he's not, but he's not only an example. Jesus is a great teacher. I'm not saying he's not, 
But he's not only a teacher, you see. He's the bread of heaven. He's the bread of heaven. When he says, my bread is the flesh that I gave for you for the life of the world, what he is saying is, he's saying, I died for the world. I was broken for the world. I stood in place for the world. For the world means this, that he's not just our example, but he is our substitute. He's our substitute. And when you recognize that, the, that, 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 that all of a sudden it begins to make sense. And then that is when Jesus becomes your Zoe. When you're able to recognize that he's not just a great teacher, that, he, that he's not just, you know, a great, uh, you know, a moral example, but that he was the very Messiah that came and died for your sins. When you recognize that, that he was broken for you on your behalf, then he becomes your Zoe. Only then does he become your meaning and your joy. See? See, if you, if you go to Jesus and you say, Lord, make me great, help me, then you're not seeing him as the broken bread. Jesus Christ is the bread of heaven. He's a person, but he's a broken person that was broken for you, you see. And so you say, wait a minute, then we know what the bread is, and we know where the bread is, it's in Jesus. So then the question is, how do you get it? How do you receive it? How, how do you receive this bread? Look at this. He says, very truly, very, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue of Capernaum. And watch this. And on hearing it, many of his disciples, not just people, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? As I get ready to conclude... You say, how do we receive it? How do we receive it? Here's the answer. You have to eat the flesh and drink the blood. You have to eat the flesh and drink the blood. You're like, Pastor Roger, that didn't help me at all. <laughs> what does that mean? What does that mean? Right? What does it mean? Is he talking about Holy Communion, where we take the bread that represents his body and the juice that represents his blood? Is that what he's talking about? Taking communion? Yes, but no. Look at verse 28. Verse 28 says this. They asked Jesus Christ, they said, Jesus, what must we do to do the works that God requires? What do we do? How do we get this bread? How do we receive it? Look what he says. Jesus turns around and says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Amen. To believe in the one he has sent. It's interesting because I don't know if you caught this, but verses 53 through 59, Jesus is continually using present tense verbs that has to do with feeding. It's very clear to be a Christian means that you continually feed off the bread of heaven, that you're continually feeding off of Christ. How do you do that? How do you do that? Well, if you look here, of course, it could be through prayer, because it talks about abiding in you and you abiding in me, right? 
Later on, we'll see that Jesus talks about his word being something that you feed on. So prayer, his word, right? Later on, Jesus will say, my meat and my drink is to do the will of the Father, right? So praying his word and being obedient, yeah, those are all ways. But the primary way, listen, the primary way of eating the bread, the primary way of eating the flesh and drinking the blood, the primary way of having Zoe, the primary way of going from just existing to living, the primary way of being like, man, I got to get up again, and man, it's work again, and man, these kids again, and all oh, the spouse again, and, 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 and then it just, you just become numb to certain things. And you know, have you ever been on a freeway and you pass by a bad accident and you're like, ooh, that looks tough, sorry for them, right? I mean, it's just numb. It's just, you know, you just, you're, you're just existing, to go from existing to living. Listen, to go from existing to living to actually having Zoe, the primary way of doing that is to repent and believe in Jesus Christ always, continually, every day, every day, to repent. See, watch this. Legalistic remorse says, I broke God's rules. But real repentance says, I broke God's heart. Legalistic remorse says I broke God's rules, but real repentance says I broke God's heart. See, if you do this, then you'll find that there's vitality about your life. All of a sudden, the, the, the dullness of, of whatever it is that you're facing, the hardships of whatever it is that you're facing, the deep things inside that have happened in your past that you don't want to talk about, the things that you're going through right now that are covered underneath the smile and the, and the cologne and the perfume, like all of that stuff, all of a sudden, your life takes on something else because, because you come to God and you repent and you believe and you do it again and again and again. And again, why? Because he loves us. Because he's paid for our, uh, for our sins. Friends, at the end of life, I don't want anybody in this room to be one of those people that stand up judgment day and said, I shrunk my own life because I refused to worship something greater than me. And I was concerned only about my own needs and my own agenda. Do you see what it means to make him bread? Something's your bread. Something. Something's your meat. Something's your, your drink. Something, there's something that you are eating from, that you are drinking from, that you are looking towards as a resource for these things. And let me just tell you, if it's not Christ, it'll spoil. It'll spoil. What's your bread? What's your bread? There's something. There's something in your life that you make a beeline towards. That you're like, oh, if I had this, this would be life. This would be really living. Well, whatever, there, there's something in your life, and that's your sprite, and you're sitting on the beach, and you're like, man, if I had that, that's living. And Jesus says, listen, that's only going to last for a moment. It's going to spoil, and then you're going to end up unsatisfied and disappointed and frustrated and hurt. It's not going to last. He says, you need Zoe. You need true life. True life. In a moment, we're going to participate in communion. And as we get ready to do that, listen. Some people say, well, what is communion? Tim Keller said this. He said, what's the purpose of the Lord's Supper? Communion. The Lord's Supper is to get the intimacy back by renewing the covenant. 
reliving the idea of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection for me. In other words, anytime we take communion, it's a a renewal of a covenant on our part. It's a reminder of who God is and what he did for us, that he is the broken bread, that he is the spilt out blood, uh, that, that he is the one that has come and he's the one that we draw everything from. Our identity is in him. Our self-worth is in him. Our joy is in him. And he will never spoil. He'll never spoil. Don't exhaust your life by reaching for bread that won't last. But go to Jesus. Before I make the transition to Pastor Phil and we take communion, listen, if you're here this morning and you say, I got to be honest, there's, I, I'm, I'm searching for that Zoe, man. Bro, I really, you know, I'm looking for that thing that's just like, man, this is, this is peace. Man, this is what it is to feel content. This is what it is to have joy. Not because you won't go through struggles, not because when you come to Christ, all of a sudden you're just, you know, walking through tulips and dandelions and, you know, rainbows of Skittles are just falling all over you. I mean, you know, but, but because even through those things, you're okay. Even through those things, there's something that stabilizes you. There's something that strengthens you. There's something that gives you boldness and gives you courage. That's Jesus. And, and if you're here and you say, you know, I'm looking for that and I've been looking in all the wrong places, can I just encourage you to think about Jesus Christ, to consider Jesus Christ, to consider the real bread? And for those of you who maybe you've been, you know, coming to church for a long time, but you've allowed other things to kind of take that place, can this just be a time where you just kind of remember what it is that Jesus Christ has done for you. He is the bread. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. As Pastor Phil's come up, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time that we are about to uh, have for the Lord's Supper. And God, what's beautiful about the communion table is that there's always room for one more. There's always room for one more. And Lord, I just pray that we, uh, that, we have, that we think within our hearts and within our minds and we test ourselves. What is our bread? What is our zoe? What is our, do, we have a, do we have a relational aspect to, to, to the God that we serve, to the thing that we worship? Heavenly Father, are we continually feeding? Are we continually drinking? Are we continually believing? Because, Heavenly Father, you are the bread that does not spoil. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash inspirechurches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.